Hello and welcome to Phil and David Talk About Barry. And uh, I'm the David part of that equation. And over there is the Phil part. Uh, Phil, hello. Oh, hi. I'm muted. Look at that. <laughs> can you tell? Can you tell uh, we some, haven't done this in a while? Some some things never change. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to be talking to you again, David. Yeah, it's it's great to be talking to you. It's it's a bummer that we are catching up here at the end of the final season of Barry, uh, but you know, better late than never. I say, such as life. Uh, like you know, life happens, and I think we were both kind of bogged down. Instead of, you know, didn't have the time to do the week to week that we did last year. Mm -hmm. But uh, I agree. Better late than never. And it's good to be able to look at the series. The been watching too much BBC. The season (laughs) as a whole, you know, kind of in retrospect and and talk about it from that perspective. Well, we are kind of talking about the the series in a way. I mean, this is the the end. This is it. Uh, This is it. Yeah, so we're we're talking about season four of Barry, the final season. Uh, we've kind of discussed beforehand the way we're we're gonna do this is we're gonna sit down, we're gonna talk for probably a, a long time, but we're gonna break this up into uh, two sections. Um, probably before the first four episodes, or like before the time jump. Uh, spoiler: If you haven't watched Barry, why are you listening to this? Right. In <laughs> um, the last four episodes, which is after the time jump. Uh, because there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack in both those sections. So uh, we'll we'll see what all we can get to. Um, before we do, though, I just Phil, I want to just get your temperature read overall. How did you feel about the final season of Barry? I thought it was the most ambitious season of Barry, not just in the mm. story they were telling, but in I think Bill Hader really leveled up as a director. Um, and it's hard to say, we'll, we'll talk about the ending when we get to the ending, but my, my overall, uh, view of it is it kind of sewed up what has become, uh, very near the top in my ranking of favorite all-time TV shows. I mean, very, I think, I think brought it home in a really interesting way. Uh, and kind of had a near perfect little series here. And I think season four was a big part of that. Mm. All right. Yeah. I mean, I, about you, David, I agree. I really love the series overall. I agree with the ambition part heavily. There was a lot of stuff they were going for here that I don't think worked at every step. Um, I think this season, didn't feel like Barry at times, but that, that, you know, that was going to happen just with (laughs) the, the level of uh, what they were dealing with and talking about. Like there's some really dark and heavy stuff in here. And then there are also, also just some real classic Barry moments. Um, Like uh, we'll, we'll talk about it here shortly, but like the Fred Armisen brief cameo uh, was for sure, was such a, a Barry moment um but there the were just stupid cops which have carried through the yeah. the entire series have been yeah you know just some great moments of levity still in there yeah but but they were fewer and far between and i mean that makes sense given that they're they were trying to to wrestle with actual ramifications for some of the the bigger stuff that happened in the show and i applaud them for doing so um i especially in the second half of our discussion really want to talk about that ending uh specifically like the last like 10 minutes yeah, of it um, for in, sure. in the way that that's all shaping out. Um, but yeah, I, I think the ending really, even for um, some of the moments I didn't love as much in this season, or I felt like they tried really hard, but maybe didn't quite hit the mark. I felt like it was a super strong ending. Um, it wrapped things up nicely. I, 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 because there's some shows, you know, they do the last season, you're like, they should have just stopped after that. And like the season three of Barry right. had such like a perfect, like this show could have ended there. But I think what they gave us for an ending here works really well. Um, and was, was very strong. It's, it's funny you say that because just today I listened to uh, a recent episode of the Conan O'Brien podcast. Is it the one with Larry David? Bill- well, oh. yes, uh, he talk, Bill Hader talking he talks about, about Larry that, yeah. David. 
uh, about how he's like, well, it's Barry's over now, right? And, and they, they joke because Seinfeld ended with him going to prison. He just thinks every show should end once prisoners in. But um, yeah, it's uh, it, re it really did take some wicked turns at the end of season three. Uh, so I think, I think the first half of the, you know, the pre time jump thing was really just sort of like resetting the table. I, I say just, but like, that was a huge chore. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So it, it was, a a really bold way to end a season, but not end your series. With, yeah. With Barry going to jail. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I say, let's, let's dive in. Uh, the season opens, as you said, with Barry in prison, um, both like Barry right after. Yeah. Like it's, it's, uh, well, I think it starts with him being booked. Like they are announcing that he's been caught and he's being walked into prison. Um, it's, it's very shortly after. Yeah. Like, so he's there. Fuchs is there. Um, oh, Fuchs. Uh, <laughs> and uh, let's, let's just, let's start, let's start there. Let's start with the, the two of them in prison. Uh, Barry winding up here and being very surprised that he is in prison. Uh, it is a, it, it's a, it's a wild, and I know that Bill Hader, he said he wrote this as a joke, but it is, it almost strikes me as kind of sad when Barry takes, he gets his phone call and he calls Gene and he goes, did you trick me? Did you guys trick me? Oh Are you gosh. mad at me? Like he's he's like this very naive child, yeah, who can't quite get his head around what's happened to him. Yeah, Barry is a character that I feel like I understand super well, and yet never really know what's going on in his head. Like this season really kind of ramped up how stagnated Barry is, um, where he hit like a certain point in his life and has never changed from there. Right. Uh, and like, yeah, like a moment like that where he's like, well, but no, like Mr. Kusna, I told you, I love you. I gave you all this money. I thought, I thought that like we were good and, right. and no, Barry, like you killed Janice and you, you did a lot of other, girlfriend. yeah, you did a lot of other horrible things and now you're in prison where you're supposed to be. It is a, it is a, a sad moment, but it is, it does also, I'm right with her with you where it's sort of like. Oh, I get, I get who Barry is. And then a moment like that will happen. And I forget that I've seen that he's only a teenager mentally, like last season when he made like his vision board. And that still uh, haunts me. That still haunts it's, me. It's a, um, it's a great callback to, I finally saw the Michael Mann movie thief and it's a callback to that movie that Bill Hader put in there. Uh, cause oh. he carries around like a little vision board in his wallet, <laughs> but it's more meaningful than just sort of like Metallica <laughs> logos and right. things like that. But, um, yeah, so you get a handle on who Barry is and then like a moment like that where he's like, did you trick me? And it's like, oh, he's a child. It's, it kind of surprises me all over again. Mm -hmm. And then you see that sort of angry or that anger that we know is there. I mean, it, it is exploding out of him. Yeah. In these first couple of episodes. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, he tells that he goads that one cop uh, into beating him pretty viciously. Um, really kind of I, like he's rejecting anybody trying to be on his side a little bit. Right. Uh, until his good old buddy Fuchs comes to the rescue, who <laughs> also also unchanged. Yes. Uh, the the flip-flop of FBI deals and Alliance versus being afraid of Barry that in the first couple episodes is just great. It's, it's Fugues wanting to make a deal, uh, then going back on it and then Barry yeah. <laughs> making a deal. Yeah. Like it's, it's also, um, I, uh, there must've been a whiteboard in the writer's room where they mapped out when each beat would happen because it's, it's all timed out perfectly throughout that, mm. yeah. that first episode or two. Yeah. And I really liked, cause like the FBI, as we talked about the, like the cops in this show are uh, pretty <laughs> in, dumb. Uh, yes. And like you bring in the higher up guys that always tend to be a little bit smarter. Like you had Albert last season 
come in, and he was definitely more adept at his job. And the FBI guys here are more serious, but they still find a great way to make them a little goofy. Like, uh, I think yeah. at one point, the one of the agents asks, um, is, is he still mad at me, referring to Fuchs when Barry's yeah. talking to yeah. him? <laughs> it's It's... It's great how kind of emotionally needy some of these cops are, how like the the chief that has been kind of a recurring character is like, you know, when he focused on the Raven task force logo instead of oh, actually God, like solving yeah. the crime, uh, he, he gives up a, a lecture about. Rashomon in in his first press conference you know it's just like these really funny moments and then like in in this season there's the cops rolling up to Cousineau's house and one cop car rear ends the other as they're, they're just these bumbling idiots and I just I love that running throughout the entire series yeah yeah it's it's great and it's like fun to have that kind of be the um uh the what, what, but comedic relief, that's the, the words I'm yeah, thinking yeah. of. Um, yeah, to have that be the, the comedic relief. Um, but you're right, like there's all this flip-flopping like with the deals where people are taking them at different points. And Fuchs, you know, he's like, this is a chance to get over on Barry until it, it you know, it's like, oh, Barry needs me. And then they were, they were making me sell you out, which becomes his narrative. Right. Uh, and like as soon as he thinks Barry needs him because that's what he wants right is to be to be needed by barry or wanted whichever he he extrapolates the two but as soon as there's an opportunity for that it everything else is out the window well yeah he he wants barry to uh to need to respect him again and and look up to him so he can control barry because that's a whole he's trying to start his prison gang god the and prison gang his big selling point is that he has Barry the cop killer and it's, you know, and then he, when he's trying to nickname everybody live wire. All right. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, it's just, there's, there's just some real funny parts, but it also, that's what I love is like, even the comedy in Barry serves a character purpose. It all like serves, to show that like Fuchs has not changed who who he is, which is you know also kind of the recurring theme through the entire series, but this season mm -hmm. definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, uh, Fuchs, I, I would argue Fuchs does have some big change a uh, little bit towards the end. Um, but you'll have to tune into part two to part two to, to hear right. to hear all that. Uh, let's let's. Look a little bit outside the prison, though, because there's—I mean, there's three other characters I think uh, to to touch base on. Which, um, the, ooh, let's let's start with Sally. Sally, uh, at this point, has had her career pretty badly tarnished by the video. You know, cancel culture <laughs> has right. come for her because she screamed at um, at uh, Darcy uh, Carden in the yeah. yeah in in the elevator and and it's uh, set her back quite a ways and like yeah, to the point uh, that her agency is dropping her she's she's being dropped and we also pick up on her right after the season 3 where she's getting on the plane to go back to her parents house so we actually yeah. uh, get to see the the hell that moving back in with your parents. God, is, uh, there was so her like, parents are so terrible. Well, her dad, her dad was trying, like her, uh, sort of. He's a little checked out, though. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes, definitely checked out. But he was, you know, he like wanted his daughter to be okay. Like they did. The mom was on in the episodes for such a short amount of time, and yet I suddenly understood Sally so much more based purely on her brief interactions with her mother. Sure. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's that. And also it's also very true to set, like when she's hyperventilating in the car and her mom is just like waiting for it to be over. And she's just kind of like, are you, are you finished? And she's just having this, Sally's having this breakdown and you kind of just also go like, 
not to be sympathetic to the mom, but also like I get where she's coming from because Sally was probably that super dramatic uh, a theater kid in, in high school mm-hmm. that everything was was blown out of proportion and and the biggest deal and at a certain point you just kind of roll your eyes and let it play out um but yeah her uh her mom uh you know criticizing the show is like you never had a daughter you never worked in a bank you know and and all of these kind of things and it's like you're missing the entire point on uh yeah, that that whole it was just so uncomfortable the whole thing. Yeah, the the, the mom clearly has never understood Sally or right. what what she's doing or what she is um trying to do, you know, like she's she's trying to tell these stories and like I said it's like the whole like well that never happened to you. Why why would you include right. that in in this? <laughs> um and you also like I just always get the sense that Sally is not an open person to anyone uh so yeah she probably was very dramatic and she's coming home and she's being dramatic and her mom doesn't know why because sally's not going to tell her like well you know i was dating you know this guy who's all over the news uh that uh, that's who i was dating and uh you know clearly the relationship with sam damaged her relationship with her mother because because there was the whole thing about in joplin she used the name sam and then the mom was like, well, I, I had to go tell them about it. And it's like, no, you right. didn't. She's like, oh, I have to go talk to so-and-so now. Yeah. And yeah. Um, but she does She does tell her about Barry. And she's like, she's like, oh, I just found out my the guy I was dating with. Uh, oh, that's uh, right. Murder, right. Murder. And she, her, her mom's response is, oh, you sure can pick them. Right. Like, it's, it's just this, this absolute um, kind of horrific thing, kind of a... I'm from the Midwest and passive aggression is like, that's a real thing up there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it is just sort of like, yeah, I could see that coming from like, you know, a small town Midwest mom. That's just yeah. sort of the response. Oh, you sure can pick them. It's like, <laughs> yeah, this is like traumatic to fi- news to find out about. It, and that's your response. Yeah. It's, um, it's great. Yeah, your your daughter just uh, told you that the guy she was she found out the guy she was dating was a murderer, and it's somehow it's her fault. Somehow, right. <laughs> it's all her fault. And then uh, and then she goes and she sees Barry and she tells him, "I felt safe with you," and that that kicks off a lot of things. That was so surprising. The reveal that it was Sally there to visit him. Yes. And, oh, yeah. Uh, I, I was really, really shocked to see that. I mean, I, who else? Like, I guess Hank. I think we were all maybe thinking it might be uh, sure. Hank rolling up there. Uh, but no, yeah, it's Sally was there and, and just that little nugget of I felt safe with you, which I I, I feel like uh, part of that might have been because she almost got killed and um, he he was there like to try to help her. You know, and knowing Barry and who he is, like, what it comes down to is Sally desperately needs a therapist. Um, uh, yeah. And she will never see one. <laughs> and so here she <laughs> yeah. is. That kind of sums up uh, Sally's character. Uh, yeah, I think there's there's a, so much going on uh, with that character, but it is almost like you can almost kind of just see it as like Barry outside of like, the explosive anger Barry's also just kind of not invested and for someone like Sally to just have kind of free reign of um you know she she's not challenged by Barry she's not uh, uh worried about putting him off because her career is taking off He's just so passive about everything else. I think there there was like a security in that for someone like Sally. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, no, I totally get what Does that you mean. Sense or is that just that sound like uh, horrible? Like oh, just ignore the abusive behavior up there, Ian. Um, right, right. Uh, I mean, uh, luckily she didn't. <laughs> um, in right. season three, you know, unfortunately she she comes back around, but she's at a real low place, and uh, and does some things probably not advisable, but I, I get what you're saying. I think there maybe is an element of that to her um, that she, that she does. I don't say finds attractive, but finds kind of like comforting, like, you know, yeah. uh, 
though Barry is just automatically more successful because he is a tall man. Um, right. <laughs> where she is trying to chase kind of like, like that true success of the, like the validation uh, of it all. Like she wants to be big, but she also like wants to be like heard and like tell stories. Um, like I remember that stupid, like, medusa show she was on in season three and she was like pushing for them to like tell better stories like she believes in the art she wants to be like part of the art and i think yeah there is something like barry enjoys acting i i I say that in the sense that i'm not sure he ever actually does i mean he does some acting in the show um but he's you know he's he's never really pursuing it in the way she was and she's always going to be going after the art of it and like like you said, like Barry, not the brightest uh, bulb in the in the yeah. box. So right, she's not threatened in that way. Like Barry doesn't. Barry never thinks he is better than Sally. No, Barry does the acting because he he's it's almost like, like a therapy, like a form of therapy to him. And then he would like fall back asswards into like getting cast in a movie and. You know, um, but by season three and when they were living together, he wasn't acting anymore. He was just kind of sitting around playing video games. And then she'd be like, oh, come have lunch with me. And he's like, "Okay," And like never challenged her, never. And I think it was just sort of like it was it was an easy relationship for for Sally. Like you said, comforting um, to just have him. He wasn't competing with her anymore. Yeah, he was just sort of a, a passive entity. Um, so I, I think there is a, a weird, um, a, a, a weird mentality of Sally. I don't mean to be dismissive in just calling it weird. I just, I'm having a hard time wording this correctly, but it's also like, you know, abuse victims, uh, sometimes have trouble shaking free of it. You know what I mean? Right. Um, oh, and, yeah. and I feel like there's a lot of that was Sally between like her ex-husband and like, she just has a history of not to, she sure can pick them like her mom says, but like just a, a, a weird history with abusive, toxic guys. And it's almost like she's drawn to them, even though she knows it's bad for her. I have a semester of online uh, psych courses. So uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that makes him fully qualified to discuss all these things. This is, what, this uh, is the only place I'm able to put them to use. Uh, I, I want to give just a, a brief little, like, I think everyone in this show does a fantastic job of acting, but I, I did just want to give a brief moment of recognition to uh, Sarah Goldberg, who plays Sarah Sally. Goldberg's great. Uh, you know, she is, she is the only woman um, like, uh, main cast in this show. Uh, and she made a really great complex character. Um, she was someone in the first season. Her character, I think is, is a little bit annoying kind of on purpose. And as you kind of dig into the character more, it, she just feels very real in, in a lot of ways. And I thought she did a fantastic job. Um, Especially, you know, having to contend with people like Bill Hader and Stephen Root and Anthony sure. Kerrigan uh, and Henry Winkler. Not like to compete with them necessarily, but, you know, she's she's holding out down for the, the women in this male-dominated show, and she did great. Uh, and, and that is a lot of, like, big personalities in, like, you know, NoHo Hank. And I know she doesn't really have any scenes with him, but in a show that's full of, like, big kind of caricature type of characters uh sally was all she's always been like a a real grounded character uh but also like to be grounded and have that many layers i i think that is i'm i'm right there with you i think sarah goldberg is great i think sally is i would say she's annoying through the first three seasons she's sort of an irritating self-centered character but in season three, we do see more layers of her. And in this season, she becomes just a full-on tragic character. Which, uh, yeah. uh, and, and to do this sort of gradual downshift from the, the wannabe superstar who's annoying everyone in the acting class in season one to, I mean, 
she really transforms into that uh I guess it's the the sixth episode. It's it's not the uh the one where Bar- where Barry leaves. You know, not to I know that's yes, the yeah, no, yeah, the sixth episode. Season. It's it's but all she, right. she's just she's just such a fallen angel by that point, and uh, what a range Sarah Goldberg has. Yeah, yeah, she she did great. Um, I was glad that character stuck out, and and you know, even like in those early seasons, she still has some moments that are. Um, that I think are very necessary to the show. Like it's, it was never a character like Kirby Howell Baptiste's character, uh, who was just, just one of the, the acting students, um, you know, she disappeared and the, the show wasn't worse off for it. You know, Darcy Carden, I really liked her role, but like, yeah, she stopped appearing. She was not worse off for it. Like Sarah Goldberg, uh, Sally was just such an integral part of the show that even right. Even if she's frustrating, like she feels so real, in that yeah um like like the there's the uh the scene where she's watching the behind the scenes um and this is a little bit later but i think still speaks very much to what we're talking about when she's watching the behind the scenes of darcy carden's show oh yeah yeah and uh the way that darcy carden is being about it like that stupid yogurt shop with her daughter (laughs) and it's just being so (laughs) flippant and darcy carden's like oh yeah do you know we almost like we almost got rid of you and recast you in season two uh, where there was that whole relationship with uh, the actress from season three, and it was like there was such an emphasis on making sure she has a, a person playing her daughter that has the right chemistry, and uh, she's the one that points out that hey, Barry's abusive. You shouldn't take this stuff from him just so easily. Uh, just that contrast, and and then to see like which one uh, is. Uh, at the bottom of the like the barrel, who won out? Yeah, yeah who who's the one, at the top who and, and and who who kind of is in the worst place of her life? Yeah, ex- yeah. yeah. Uh, I just thought that was that was very interesting, and um, I, I I will say we'll talk about it at the end, but I will say that I I, I am glad with that that Sally got as much of a happy ending as she could get. In, I mean, uh, in all of uh, this, yeah, uh, as much as she will allow herself to get, I think. But yeah, we'll that's also. That. But, a big um, but yeah, I'm I'm glad she was such a pivotal part of this season that they didn't just write her off. And then Sally went to Joplin, and right. you know, and whatever that they actually just sort of like they recognized her as such a a key player in in this ensemble that is. Gene and Noho Hank and Cristobal and and uh uh Fuchs I almost called him the Raven I almost called him <laughs> Stephen Root <laughs> well you know Fuchs uh, or the Raven uh, would be <laughs> probably fine by him uh yeah uh but, I, uh you want to jump to uh Gene or talk about Hank and Cristobal let's talk about let's talk about Gene first and then we'll okay. come back because I think there's oh there's some stuff in Hank and Cristobal that I <laughs> I oh, yeah. <laughs> really want to chew on when we get to it. Uh, I, yeah, there's a lot there, yes. Yeah, but but Gene, uh I'm I'm struggling to remember where Gene is starting off at the at the start of this Gene season. Is, right, Gene just is just talking, post talking to the reporter. Oh, it all just came also, flooding back to me. Yep, there it yes, is. He did his one man show, uh his three hour long one man show. Oh my god. Uh for the for the reporter from Vanity Fair. Yeah, and also wanted to be cited as an anonymous source. Right. Yeah, I want to be an anonymous source. Here's information that only could have possibly come from me. Um, and he doesn't just like sit down and talk to him about it. I loved the the scene where the reporter is very clearly like, "This is annoying. This is stupid." And right. and then it's cutting into later in the show, and he's just enraptured, <laughs> writing everything down. <laughs> It's a, it's a, it's a, it's the most Gene Cousineau thing is to, hey, let me make this about me in a show business way. Uh, I want to be an anonymous source, but can you talk about what great acting this show was also in your, your article? And it's just, it's, it's so great. It's, yeah, it's, it's such a Gene thing. It, it is. And he's also like, he's twisting the truth to make himself look better. Right. For it's, sure. it's for as much growth as Gene can ever have, 
he is still a narcissist in so many ways that it's like even just telling this information to the reporter could damage their case. And then he's going around changing the story, changing details, which right. would totally destroy their case, like in entirely. And uh, yeah, Jim Moss is absolutely correct. Uh, and then also somehow <laughs> tortures this man until he only speaks German. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> and he didn't speak German before. He didn't know it. How long has he sp- spoke German? He doesn't speak German. Doesn't yes, speak it's, German. It's, it's, it's so good. Um, yeah, I think I think Gene uh, Gene's twisting of the truth, and I think other things later on this this season have been a a great sort of parody or satire of the true crime genre sure and the the idea that um that true crime movies and a million podcasts they're all selling themselves as this is the real story of what happened and and this is just kind of definitively saying that it's not but just kind of saying like this is what happens on the way to uh, you know, there's there's books and podcasts, but especially like dramatizations, movies and TV shows that are made about true crime cases. There's so much license taken in all of this. And, and I just I love that they're they're doing this at the same time that HBO's other uh, kind of newer hit series is Love and Death, which is a a based on a true story, true crime uh, uh, series. And um, it's just, I don't know, that struck me funny. And I, I just, I love to take or see a smart shot taken at these kind of true crime movies. Because I think so much of it is just conflated bullshit for the sake of fitting a narrative that's a mm-hmm. little more digestible in a movie. Yeah, no, I think there is... Um... That this season has some of their strongest commentary, and I, I think you're right. A lot of it around this in this season is around the sensational sensationalization of murder, and uh, and how the the narrative gets twisted, and really like what is what is the true story, and how much does that matter? And I think yeah, you're right that that Cousineau, like is totally it's totally speaking to that where he is a victim in this story but he wants to also be a hero. And, he, and like in a little bit of a way he was like his things he did with Jim at the end of last season were like heroic and that would stand enough on its own, but right. it, it, it can't to him. It's, it's not, it's not cinematic enough or, or dramatic enough that he has to make it more of like a traditional heroic story. Yeah. Yeah. He's got to come out uh, on top and, and and then he shoots his son. <laughs> oh my god! I almost forgot he shot Leo. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, who's trying to bring him whatever restaurant that he wanted? Yeah. That he couldn't uh, deliver. Uh, poor Leo. And and he thinks it's Barry, and he shoots him through the door. It's it's the it's the wildest wildest thing. Uh, spoiler alert! Uh, to you know the next episode but leo does survive but i i thought for sure that was going to be the tragedy you know that would be this one of the dark clouds over the second half of this season yeah because because gene also too because he's so terrified because barry has escaped prison and so he thinks like oh he's gonna come for me because i was somebody that helped get him busted uh and here's a knock at the door and I don't want to say rightfully, but understandably, I think, uh, you know, opens opens fire. I think he may, maybe should have handled that situation a little differently. Yeah, a little. Because uh, why, would, why would Barry just come knocking on the door? But also, why didn't Gene have, like, uh, you know, like a security with him or something? Sure. You know, they're like... Again, not to say I'm not trying to say his, his actions justifiable, but understandable given his circumstances. He's and a little fear. jumpy to be left on his own. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then and mm-hmm. then flighty because after he shoots Leo, he takes off. Yeah, he flees the country. Yeah. Um, it's 
it's really it's really wild um he, you know the rip torn gun coming back around rip torn gun man uh, rip torn you know. not even in this series uh clearly um but still has a big uh Big presence, a, a, just a big presence, yeah. Just in in that one little thing, Chekhov's rip torn gun. Uh, is, that's uh, literally it, it, what I was thinking. He's coming around. I love when they're talking to the district attorney, and he says, "Well, Gene, do you have a gun?" And his manager says, "He has a a, a stage prop gun from Rip Torn." And he goes. Well, if it came from Rip Torn, it probably fires real bullets. So I keep that. <laughs> <Yeah. on. laughs> like, a... I, uh, I, I don't know if this was on purpose, but the DA definitely gave me the vibes of the attorney from Seinfeld. Oh, Jackie Giles. Yeah, Jackie Giles. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit, like where he wasn't. Bit, yeah, he wasn't being comedic, but there was just something in his demeanor where many of the things he said were just funny. Maybe because of how serious he was. I think he was he was very comedic in a like a Leslie Nielsen, uh, you know, deadpan kind of way. Like he'd say, sometimes, yeah, I'm not going to tell you. We keep every witness alive. Uh, I've had some really bad stories. I can't tell you about them. And they go, why are they classified? He's like, no, they're just very unpleasant. And I don't <laughs> like to talk about this. Right, I don't like to talk it's, about it. It's, it's just like a really, everyone from the DA's office is so deadpan. Like with the guy who comes to get Gene out of the lunch and he's like, Gene Cousineau, I'm with the DA's office. Take two bites of that salad and come yes, with me. Yes, take two like, bites of that salad and come with me. It's, it's the most random, but most deadpan and hilarious thing. And and I just, I love that look, those the way they put comedy into this show. Yeah. And just in these like very like real, well, sometimes real, I don't want to say like always real, but like that, like take two bites of that salad and then come with me. It's so great. It's such like a throwaway (laughs) weird line that, that just, yeah, makes you bust up laughing because of the way that it breaks the tension. uh, Kind of, but, and they were just sort of like, that's gold, leave it in. Well, it's it's so good. That's one thing that Bill Hader has talked about is that he wants, uh, because he he did a bunch of like little bit parts, right? And so he um, always wants the people in these bit parts to like have their kind of little standout moment. Like the, there's the one that I remember from last season because, um, uh, that, that that how I learned this fact is the the girl that's like just walking by when the police go to raid or somebody's going to go to raid some of the Chechens and she's just like and he ordered milk. Oh um, yeah, she's just talking <laughs> about her date and we never see this character again. Right, uh, but I distinctly <laughs> remember that line. And so like, yeah, like take two bites of that salad and come with me falls perfectly in that same sort of thing. Where yeah, it's that, great. That character is nothing uh, in a way. Uh, like, we're never going to see him again, but take two bites of the salad and come with me. I'll never forget that ne- line. Never forget him. Right. Um, all right. Let's let's talk about Hank and Cristobal. America's and, favorite couple. And the joy that could have been. That could have been, yes. Like, they start this season happy. They're in Santa Fe. They're living their dream. Yeah. They they got the house in Santa Fe. Uh, they're free and clear of their respective mobs. Yep. And then, um, but yeah, domestic then, bliss. The domestic bliss until Cristobal he gets an idea. Well, there's a sand shortage in New <laughs> Mexico, David, <laughs> which is <laughs> one of the most brilliant <laughs> gags of all. Yeah, no, yeah, I love, I love that where it's like, well, there's a sand shortage, and they just pause and go and look out at they the desert. They look out at this huge desert out there. But she's like, no, um, it's this building type of sand. Uh, and then the, the scene where they are at brunch, and uh, they first talk about this whole thing, and you don't, you don't see Noho Hank. Yeah, I'm gonna talk about the whole outfit. Yes. Uh, yes. It's just on Cristobal, and then you hear like, "Is something wrong?" And it cuts to Noho Hank, and he's wearing this hat with these glasses that have like chains on them and like a poncho, and he just says, "You barely touched your chiliquiles," and it it, it was amazing. It's just amazing. It was... Yes, it's it's the best cut in the history of television. Just to the reveal of the most flamboyant outfit that nobody is mentioning. Yeah, 
Nobody's talking about it. It's just allowed to be there and breathe. It's it's wonderful. That, that's okay. So you just uh, you just reminded me. That's something I, I wanted to make sure that I mention, um, because Anthony Kerrigan has alopecia very clearly. Right. Uh, but I realized no one in the series. I think somebody might call him bald at one point, but it it's just like four seasons and it doesn't get brought up in any way, shape or form. It's not used as any sort of like way to ridicule him. Like I just, right. Whatever happens with Anthony Kerrigan's career and Hollywood is a very fickle business. And yes, your appearance is a big deal. Um, I, I just think it's great that he will always have this super iconic character that he got to play. And oh, for sure. And this, this, you know, this, this part of his physical appearance which will keep him from getting other roles. Never an issue, never brought up, n- never a thing. He's just no-ho Hank, and he's amazing for being no-ho Hank. It's very much like when a, a Black character is allowed to just be a character, and nobody has to be like, oh, because you're Black, or or it just, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it's a, a sort of like, this doesn't have to be the only identifier for this character. This can be a fully fleshed out person just like a real life black person is. Right, know? right, like, exactly. You, you kind of have to be like, yeah, it's just a, a regular person. And yeah, uh, you know, I don't think I, to that point, I don't think I really thought of Noho Hank as having alopecia because, you know, in the back of my head, I knew Anthony Kerrigan did. And I know that he had been told you'll never be an actor because you have alopecia. But uh you know, I never thought of Noho Hank as someone with alopecia because it's never brought up. And it's just sort of like that character is so big and so embodied uh, and fully realized on the screen that that's not even what you're thinking about. So, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, credit to the series for that. And and he is uh, in a loving relationship with. Cristobal and nothing uh, goes wrong and they just go to the happiest place on earth, Dave and Buster's. Dave and Buster's. That's right. Every day can be like Dave and Buster's, David. <laughs> that was my, my fiance is obsessed with Dave and Buster's and just well, it's like, we'll go to the happiest place on earth and it cuts to them being at Dave and Buster's. It was just like, oh man, this, this is it, what I got to deal with now. It's uh yes uh the the they're meeting at Dave and Buster's, um and and then they're when they're gonna give their presentation and, and all the gangsters are in there holding like stuffed yes Pokemon yeah they just went and had a great and... day <laughs> yeah, uh, even before that when they're at the table and they're giving their kind of talk uh, and I they're talking about like murder and all these things like so openly and like the waitress just comes up like all bubbly and then uh Cristobal's walking around and Hank keeps running to get to the right spot to deliver right. his part of the speech yes. <laughs> it's 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 hilarious uh the the yeah so we must cease this bloodshed oh yeah can we get some jalapeno poppers right, yes. for the table like yes. it, and then uh, when they're in the meeting room and like someone comes in and Hank's like, oh, we have this room for another half hour, please. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, like, and he's like talking about assassinations and stuff. Yes. Like <laughs> it's, it's, it's just great. It's, it's a continuation of that, that corporate, uh, that corporate mob kind of thing. We've seen, you know, like Cristobal came in with all like the self-help books and giving seminars uh, when he was first introduced into the series. And I just I love that they're keeping that going. They have the headset mics, yeah, and uh, and <laughs> yeah. it's it's just like the most like synergy, crime, uh, business pitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's gosh, it's just absolutely ridiculous. And and for a, a season that was yeah not not as heavy on the the humor part of it, like so all of that for so long was just was so great and so engaging and then the chechens show back up and (sighs) yeah the uh the noho hourglass has to has to take place the noho Um, hourglass i like that yeah like um uh yeah the 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 reintroduction of the the chechens because they're going to la to start their sand empire Mm -hmm. and um 
Yeah, it's one of those things. Uh, I don't want to breeze right over the Guillermo del Toro cameo. Uh, oh yeah. But, um. Yeah. I, oh man. I. Yes, I was like, Guillermo del Toro's in this show uh, for yeah um, two minutes. The the double take that I did. Uh, it's I can't even describe to you how my eyes almost fell out of my head when I was like, is that? It is. It's Guillermo del Toro. What's he doing on this show? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> He's there with the two guys with the with the podcast. The guys from the podcast. Uh, uh, Who are also Los, assassins. Los Gadgets. I don't remember what the podcast was called. Uh, but the gadgets never work. And he's like, uh, I, I bought that jacket that makes s'mores. It works fine. Right. Um, it's Yeah, it's so great. Uh, but after that, yeah, the, then the Chechens come in. Michael Ironside and the rest of the the Chechen mob comes in and wants Hank to do right by them. And Hank is in a dilemma. Yeah, but he, in the end, he, he chooses out uh, being a Chechen first. And he just thinks like, well, Cristobal will, Cristobal will understand, right? He'll make him understand. Right. Yeah. Um, we, yeah. Hank, Hank reverts. I, I think, I think this is the season of you can't outrun who you are. Uh, I don't, I think we'll talk about this more in the, the second half of this recording, but uh, yeah, I think this is sort of the first instance we see of, of Hank. Um or of the theme of people don't change during this season. Like this has been Barry's ongoing thing. Can I change? Can I change? Can I be a better person? Mm -hmm. um, and I think Hank had everything that he thought he wanted and he was not satisfied with it. So he had to go back to running a Chechen mob. Uh, see, I read it as him being like a little bit afraid of, of them. And uh, and like them coming in and like they kind of seem to very heavily imply like we're going to uh, you like you have you basically have two choices one like either way we're going to muscle in on this business and either you join up with us or uh, we just take everything that you have and he makes this deal of like well if I come with you like Cristobal has got to come as well um, and I think there's a little bit of reverting like he is. You know, he is uh, Chechen. Like, this is these are his people. But I, I think he's also a little just afraid of what they're going to do, and rightfully so. I think he is afraid of what they're going to do, but I, I do think he is dissatisfied with his new non-mob life. I, he's, he's not super into the idea of the sand business. Um, he hears that Barry's in jail and he starts to make plans to break him out. Right. Even though Cristobal uh, wants to go legit. And yeah, he, he, Cristobal's talking about legit business and he is kind of, he only agrees to it because he's looking up how to break Barry out and Cristobal catches him on a laptop. He goes, I was just researching the sand. Uh, I want to do this. And I think he's, I think he, um, He's giving it a shot, but he's not into it. And he even tells Cristobal that, right, mm -hmm. uh, at the most tragic part of this, <laughs> this season, uh, he says, I tried. I tried to to do the sand thing like you wanted to do. I just, I'm not happy with it. I think, I think Hank was afraid of what would happen, but I think also ultimately he would have swung back to crime anyway i think he was not i i think he was not terribly satisfied mm. with the way they were living well either way cristobal was not happy to make that change and uh tried to walk out and then uh gets killed and that reveal when they reopen the when door they is open just, the door is heartbreaking it's it is the gut punch that i it wasn't horribly surprising, but it was so disappointing. I yeah. was hoping. <laughs> I was like, nah, they'll let him walk. Nope. 
Right. No. Like you you know you know it's coming. And they don't like they did this this thing here, which they do on Barry that they do so well that I really, really like, which they don't then go and like show you Cristobal's body. Hank doesn't run over to it, and here's like this close up and this big tragic scene. Like we just see it from a distance. There's a couple of guys standing over it. You know what happened. It's not ambiguous. Right. Uh, but it's just kind of dealing with it in this very sort of detached sort of way. And like, I gasped, I audibly gasped. Like I, I still knew what was coming, but when they just, when they showed it to us, uh, and like, this is a show that's also like, it's not afraid to show you the real ramifications of violence. Um, right. In, in some, sometimes some very gruesome ways, uh, but this was showing a ramification of violence in this totally different way that, I, t- to me, was still just as effective as a, as if we had seen Cristobal being shot. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm glad they didn't show us the murder. You know, they don't feel like they need to show every single thing. You know, they didn't show Janice's murder. These murders that actually carry a lot of weight in the show i think they don't show them a lot of times they're sort of off screen or or alluded to Mm -hmm. but yeah it was it was a huge gut punch because over the last especially over season three we just came to love this couple so much like you saw how hank literally fought for cristobal yeah uh uh you know, went down and, you know, did superhuman feats of strength, breaking chains and adrenaline. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's so for it to end like that, I thought was, was the real tragedy of this season. Yeah. Like you, you know, you know that there's pain coming for people, but you're like, they'll be okay. Right. Like you want them, you want, you want it to work out for them. And then it it doesn't, and that is is heartbreaking. Um, they were the couple everyone was rooting for. I was rooting for them, you for know. Sure. I I I loved them. I was hoping something would work out. <sighs> well, before we we move on to uh, talking about the second half of the season, I do want to talk a little bit about the uh, Barry's hold jailbreak, um, which sets <laughs> off the second half of the season. Uh, like I mentioned Fred Armisen before we talked about that Barry had decided to make a deal. And I, I love that scene when he's make, trying to make his deal with the FBI. He says he wants Sally to come with him, but he doesn't have her uh, go ahead on that, which is very right. Barry. Um, and then uh, he just picks on this guy standing in the room. He's like, he's here to kill me. That is uh, his delivery on that is so perfect. Yeah, it's such, it's that so good. That guy's here to kill me. Yeah, like, what? That guy's here to kill me. I'm like, no, he's with so and so. He's like, no, he's wait, not one of ours. He's with you. And <laughs> and this is what I'm talking about. Like, but like they'll show you the violence. Like it's Fred Armisen, and he pulls out some device. It's not. It's not even a gun. Like these guys. It, would... It's a gadget that doesn't work. Yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's the podcast guys. Yeah. yeah. These guys would have guns. Like cops in this situation. These guys would all have guns. He pulls out this device that explodes and destroys his hand. <laughs> it's a... oh. Yeah. It's it's uh, gross. Uh, there's <laughs> it's it is like an SNL gag. You know, like when someone is maimed. Mm-hmm. on SNL and and it's just like this this obviously fake hand or whatever but it's it's just so funny. Uh and it I mean for being that gross I thought it was very funny. Oh yeah, no, it, it's it's a it was a very comedic scene. <laughs> the guy in the ceiling who's just like blasting the entire room and can't hit Barry. I I just I love that it's two podcast guys. It, it felt and we've <laughs> talked about this before. It the, you can tell Cohen brothers are a big influence on Bill Hader. And oh, yeah. I think this, what, what we just, like that whole scene was very much a Cohen brothers, uh, like this very serious, very deadly moment turning into a farce. Uh, it just had to screamed Cohen brothers to me. It was, was Cohen brothers and a, a little bit of like Elmore Leonard, uh, with the whole idea 
of all of those influences that like crime is dumb and mm -hmm. it's usually being performed by really dumb people who don't know what they're doing. Right. And, and it's just like, it, this is the perfect execution of that. Yeah. Yeah. It really was, but because of the chaos, Barry managed to, uh, get out. He managed to escape prison. Uh, Fuchs, who, even though he knew Barry was trying, had at this point had like sold him, not sold him out, but like was selling out the Chechens and everything and selling him out, I guess, was still trying to save him, was still trying to protect him. Right. Uh, right. And that, that ends up earning him some, uh, some good blood with the, um, with the, his future gang. Well, that and uh, the cops just start like beating him mercilessly, yeah. and he still won't give up Barry. And I think I think that's this big turning point for uh, everyone. You know, Livewire and Groove Tube and Jason. God, uh, all <laughs> to uh, to start uh, having some respect for Fuchs. Yeah, and uh, and Barry gets out, and he goes to Sally. And stands there. He's just a boy standing in front of a girl, asking if she wants to run away and be fugitives forever. Actually, he doesn't even say anything. He just walks out of the shadows, and she just says, "Let's go." Let's go. Yeah. Uh, she's actually tried to get back into teaching. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's very right. briefly. Uh, and that's not going to plan. And uh, just realizing she'll be, she's out of options in L.A. And, um, yeah, she, she was like, what the hell with nowhere to go, I think, you know? Yeah. And well, uh, cause she was also, she was, uh, coaching that one woman and right. was, uh, you know, even gaining some praise there. And there's that one guy who gives her, like very honest talk where it's like, look, this is what you got to do. And you can maybe like, if you do this, you can maybe get your career back on track. It's not going to be what you want, but you can do something. But for Sally, that's not enough. Right. Everyone's talking to her about like, oh, you can do reality TV. You can do a yes. reality show or you can do a podcast and you can, you know, you can bank some money. And she's, you know, she's there with. Uh, I don't remember her name, the director of Coda. Yes. Um, who's has one of the my favorite lines in this whole seasons is, you know, Coda, I worked with dedicated actors to tell a real human story about about uh uh feeling and emotion and here i'm working with models in halloween costumes right <laughs> like like this this idea of the brilliant indie director doing you know kind of surface level franchise work for the paycheck and um, yeah because how often do you hear that announcement right that's like oh they've they've gotten this director like right. edgar wright was gonna do a <clears throat> Uh, Marvel movie and do Ant Man, yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, like oh, they they go and they find these indie people because the idea is they can like stretch the budget or whatever, and yeah, like there's got to be that feeling for them of like yeah, I you know I was making this story of something deep and personal, and then uh, here I am, here uh, I am on this blue stage, right? Yeah, know? yeah. There's like a couple of rocks for the actors to stand on, uh, but yeah, yeah Sally, or oh, good. I was just gonna say it's it's a it's a great sort of parody of the Hollywood landscape right now. Yeah, well, yeah, and they did such a great job of just continuing to um, poke fun at Hollywood, even though these are you know people who worked in that machine, and that's and that's why yeah. they poke fun at. I, it. I, th I think that's what why they do it so well. Yeah, all that leads to Sally saying to Barry, "Let's just go." And uh, where does it go? Well, approximately 10 years into the future, eight years, eight to 10, eight, somewhere I in think, there. Yeah. Uh, and that means for us, we're going to skip ahead briefly in time and move on to, to part two. Uh, so you'll have to tune in. Probably, I don't imagine we'll release these separately or too far from each other. Uh, but yeah. just just to make it easier and a little more digestible, I figured we'd do two separate episodes. So we're going to end this one here, and uh, we will be back whenever you decide to listen to part two. It'll be there. Yeah.